Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. And welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry with me is George. Hello, everybody. There he is. And on this episode of Sega Talk number 27, we are covering something that we actually covered before, but you never heard it. It was a lost episode. This was back before we had our uh, our shit together. And yeah, yeah. Now we've we've taken, we've mounted the shit with our hands, and it's together now. We have it all. Mm. It's all it's barely hanging together. Yeah, barely, but it's it's more in a, in a little pile now rather than spread out amongst the floor. Um, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, the game we're actually covering is Bug, and this was it's to be a... an April Fools' episode because it would be an episode that no one would have probably requested from us at the time. Um, I'll be honest, though, at this point, I feel like this is a game that someone probably would throw at us. For some reason, right? Yeah, it just it feels like something that we would cover eventually. Um, maybe Snail Maze would have been a better joke episode. Uh, Ooh. I could talk about that for hours, but we're going to be talking about Bug for at least six hours on this episode. And that released Ooh. in 1995 to the Sega Saturn. And surprisingly, it was a very successful platforming game. It released just a few weeks after the launch of the console in America and was developed by Real-Time Associates. The game combines 2D character sprites and 3D environments to create a 2.5D platforming experience. So, what was your earliest experience with Bug? Um, I mean, I, it wasn't one of those games that I purchased for the Sega Saturn. It wasn't something that, like... I think at the time, I know there was a sequel to it, and I know you said it was highly successful, but mm-hmm. like I feel like it's one of those games that kind of sold as a, I guess it became like a meme. Like There's some games that you, you, in the early 16-bit era that did this too, like I feel like Bubsy was one of those, Yeah, where it wasn't really well designed, but the character drew you in with the cover, Yeah, and it was during a time when kids didn't actually... Like, look at reviews. It wasn't like you could just go on the internet and look at a review for free. You had to go buy a magazine or keep up with it, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's why I think it was it was a success. Because mm-hmm. the character bug, when you look at it, you're like, oh, that just doesn't look like a bad game. It looks like a mascot platformer. Especially in 95 when, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog and Mario were at their peak height, right? Yeah, and it's, um, it's interesting you bring up Bubsy because... I feel like I have more memories of Bubsy than Bug. And um but it kind of ties in with this because I distinctly remember when I rented Bubsy, when I was seeing the commercials for it and when I rented it, I was super excited because in my mind I had played Sonic and I was like I love the design of this character, I love the game. And then when I saw Bubsy, I'm like this guy he looks interesting. I like that he talks, like there's voice acting in the game which was new at the time. And I was, like, really pumped to play it. Like, I think I was ready to experience the next Sonic the Hedgehog. And Is that, is that how you felt? I just, I, I just remember. Do you ever have these memories where you're like, I was super excited at the time. <laughs> but it's like, oh, you know. My cousin used to own the Bubsy games. So, like, I used to go to his house and play them. And, like, 
Yeah. I remember being super frustrated with like the level design and stuff, but mm. like I was so young that yeah. I didn't really put together what's good, what's bad. But definitely like the falling damage, like dying and like you had to be super like uh careful because it is the design of some of the levels were like really, really terrible. Right. And I think bug is way better design oh, for me. Yeah. I was gonna, I was just gonna say like I picked it up uh at like a flea market it used to be one of those games that you would find in the flea market for a couple bucks um everywhere it was almost everywhere like if you had if somebody had a sega saturn lot that they were selling at like a flea market or secondhand shop Mm -hmm. bug would be one of the games like that you would always find for some reason that one and like daytona usa and sega rally oh absolutely so definitely played it because it was cheap and picked it up because it was cheap at the time i think now it's not as cheap like everything in the U.S. Sega Saturn, but that's just my experience with it. I don't. Th- I played it when it was already like the Saturn was already kind of over. Mm-hmm. I don't have like nostalgia feelings with the character or anything. I know there's some other people out there that, you know, it sold a lot. So obviously, some people out there got it for Christmas, right? Right. Yeah. And and for my memories, like I, I brought up Bubsy because I don't have distinct memories of Bug at the time. I remember magazine ads. I believe I remember commercials. And I did play it probably 1998 with the demo disc, which has a very lengthy demo to the point where you play it enough that you're like, if, I mean, I understand that a demo is supposed to give you a taste of the game and make you decide to buy it or not. But typically they give you, back in the day, they give you just a tiny taste and you'd be like, well, one level, I played for two minutes. I might pick this up. That was fun. This one, though, it goes on and on. I feel like you could play the demo for like 10 or 15 minutes. And you get if you don't like it, you're not going to buy the game. Because I, I played the demo and I was like, this is kind of cool. And after a while, I was like, this is kind of... I don't know, I got bored with it. Um, but Bug is really, like you said, right? Like Bubsy and this yeah. character and maybe like... Knack is, I mean, Knack now is like the modern equivalent to this, but it's like yeah. they sold on being a platformer, but the platformer was never that great. Right. But they sold on the idea, right? Right. Like, and like I brought up Bubsy because I feel like if I had a Saturn at the time, I would feel that same feeling. I'd see it, get super excited, think I was going to be playing the next Sonic the Hedgehog, and then I'd get home and probably play something that was okay, um, but definitely something that let me down. Um, but playing it as I did and since then, um, I, I, I like it. I mean, I, I'm not coming in with these preconceived notions I know about bug. So when I, I started playing it, I was like, this is what I expected. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about the developers. So you can't talk about bug without first talking about the history of real time associates. So two years before the Saturn launched in America, Sega assembled what was dubbed the Away Team, whose task was to assemble the best possible combination of hardware and software for Western and Japanese markets. So Sega of America placed their efforts on assembling third-party software through a hand-picked group of developers, which were nicknamed Tiger Team. (laughs) Sega's intent was to get developers to be happier and more at ease with developing for the Saturn hardware. So one member of this team was Real-Time Associates. They were founded by David Warhol, formerly of Mattel Electronics, and the studio grew from a computer, sound effects, and music creator to a full-fledged development studio 
with an emphasis on licensed content. So real-time yeah, associates, games, they included Beavis and Butthead, Ren and Stimpy in the Quest for the Shave and Yak, Barney's Hide and Seek, and nearly half of the American Sega Pico <laughs> library. I feel like these guys are your heroes, right? I love them. So yeah. <laughs> looking at their gameography, do any of these titles stand out to you? I mean, I think, I don't know if you did this, but when I was younger, I was, I think I was just more easily drawn to like licensed games because you knew them. So like I played the Beavis and Butthead game. I played the Red and Stippy game. I don't know. I don't know which one I played though now, but I remember playing them and I, and this is kind of what Bug kind of reminded me of where it was like a good enough platformer, but it, it was just like not amazing, not terrible and that's how kind of like the Beavis and Butthead game and those kind of games reminded me of. It's like, you like the show, this is a good enough distraction. Kind of remind me of like some of the Simpsons games they used to make where the platforming is kind of cheap, but like, I, well, Bug's actually not that cheap, but like these, these licensed games were, right? They were just okay platformers, at, at least to me, but what... What are these? Do you have you played any of these games? Um, I have played. I believe I've played Quest for the Shaven Yak, um, <laughs> and Beavis and Butthead. I rented. It was one of those things where I kind of watched the show, but not really because it was like bad for you. But it, it was, was a, it was a bad boy show. Yeah, yeah. But it was easier to get away with playing the game, and I was. Lost. It, we've talked about this before. One of those games where you get and you're like, this is my weekend. I'm so excited. And you play the first five minutes and you're like, I'm not playing this all weekend. Yeah. Because it's, it was really hard. That Beavis and Butthead game. It was very hard. And I believe, I think it, there might've been like angry video game nerd or something where they like broke down just how hard it was and how confusing it was. And things that you really would not pick up unless you maybe had a manual, but like renting it, you're not going to get a manual. So, yeah. yeah. And as for the American Sega Pico library, um, as uh, nobody really cares or knows, I have no, yeah. I have the entire American Sega Pico library. It's about 20 games. And the real time... So they was, did about 10 games. What's that? They did about 10 games. Yeah, then, they right? did about 10. They did some Disney ones. But, like, they're... Their skills with developing for it and figuring out new ways to use the, like the stylus and stuff were actually pretty smart, like pretty creative. Um, there was a Pocahontas game I believe they did where you would make pottery on a wheel, so you would carve the pottery as it spun with the uh, stylus, and then the the shape you would make would mirror on the other side to create a bowl. And I thought that was kind of uh, neat. Like, they had a lot of create creativity in that regard. And so, I think, you know, some of their titles really do stand out. It's interesting, too, that uh, David Warhol worked at Mattel Electronics. Because um, from my memory, what's that, in television, right? Yeah, I think so. I yeah, think yeah. Funny. And the studio grew, it says here, from a computer sound effects and music creator, and so I'm thinking of the Intellivision, and I know they had a voice synthesis module for a few games, and so I have to wonder, maybe they worked on that. Um, I don't know, and but but that kind of got me thinking that this is a, a team founded by someone who is a pretty creative guy and is always looking at new ways to utilize hardware in unique ways. That's my guess. 
And uh, they, you know how they did all these licensed games? You could, like, kind of tell that Bug was their version of a licensed character. Like, Ren and Stippy, Beavis and Butthead, they had, like, these designs. It wasn't, like... I mean, they were licensable, right? Right. Like, so I feel like Bug, the whole idea behind it was the same thing as Sonic, right? It's going to maybe be more than just a game. Uh, it's going to be on merchandise and stuff, right? Right, yeah. And it's interesting you bring up Sonic, too, because... Um... You know, Real Time Associates, they almost went the route of Big Red Button. And I say Ooh. that because Bug actually started as a Sonic game. Sega signed a million dollar contract with the developer, which involved a year long development cycle and a 15 person team. But unfortunately, as is the trend with Sega of America, Sega of Japan was unaware of the deal. And the idea of Real Time Associates developing a Sonic game quickly ended but if you can think fast forward to like 2015 2014 where sega of america was like no we're doing this big red button and they push it through can you imagine a game <laughs> sega like, of america game sega america game like bug but with sonic um actually happening and i also have to ask what is up with sega of america continually trying to develop Sonic games either behind Japan's back or like they'll they'll start it and then they'll tell Japan and they think Japan will see it and go oh what a good job you did you know behind our back behind our back our IP. yeah like what do you think of that <laughs> I feel like that's the American mindset right like they make fun of this in TV shows all the time where like the guy goes behind the CEO's back does something and they're like you're hungry you're uh you're CEO of the company now I'm firing myself yeah, and that's how they they think it's gonna play out. Um, I think at this moment, uh, Sega Japan really undervalued how important Sonic the Hedgehog was for Sega of America as a marketing tool, mm-hmm. and and they were one hundred percent okay with leaving Sonic because in Japan, uh, the Sega Genesis wasn't. I mean, Sega Mega Drive wasn't as popular as it was in America, right? And the Sega Saturn was really popular in Japan. So whatever they were doing to at that point was working but the problem is they didn't think of the big picture right like sega of america has to have their their slice or their selling tools so i think they just wanted to have a sonic game even if it wasn't good on the on the sega saturn so they could have it in adverts i mean yeah let's be honest when we were kids if we saw oh the next continue the sonic 4 we'd be like all right, mom, I guess I'm going to have to get this for Christmas, right? Yeah, and I think Sega of Japan, they they did want to continue Sonic as a series, but at a much slower pace, which is why Sega of America were like, no, we got to get at least two or three Sonic games a year. Like, let's keep pumping these out. And they reached a point where they were, you know, I've shown you the chart before. It shows this timeline of Sega hardware, and there was a, a period of one or two years where... Sega worldwide were supporting every single piece of harder hardware from the Master System all the way up to the Saturn. And when you consider that, that's the 32X Sega CD, uh, Game Gear, Pico. It's just Genesis. So, you know, it's just kind of mind-boggling. And Sega of America, I think their, their mindset was that every single one of these pieces of hardware, they got to have a Sonic game. And if the hardware really picks up and, you know, gets an audience, you got to have continual Sonic games. And that's too much work for Japan, understandably. 
But it's also understandable that America should be given a little more control because that's where their bread and butter is. And, and so it was also like remember the Sonic Extreme, which kind of reminds me of Bug, yeah. I guess in a way, right? Mm-hmm. The idea behind it, but like Yuji, Yuji Naka and Sonic Team being also like playing the guard role, where if we're not involved, we don't want anything against it. Like I feel maybe if Sega of America talked to Sonic uh, Team and they had somebody just overseeing it, mm-hmm. maybe they would have gotten better reception from Sega. But, like, imagine you guys, like, Sega Japan and Sonic Team being told, hey, you know that character that you guys created and was a phenomenon? Uh, we're going to undermine you and just make another game. And here it is. We've been working on it for a while. Yeah. I think you would. everybody would get upset. For sure. Any and that's, creator. That's the, that's the problem with the whole idea, even though, it, like I was saying, it, it would be great for Sega of America is that, you have to have super strong quality control. Otherwise, you're going to put something out that's crap, and it's going to hurt the brand, and it's going to upset you know, the likes of Yuji Naka, as we saw um, with Sonic Boom. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult line to walk, and I think in this case, they, they made the right decision to make an original concept. And so the idea of an insect-themed game actually came from a stalled Genesis project in real life as a kid, Warhol, who we were talking about earlier, who founded Real-Time Associates, built Lego mazes and raced beetles through them, which became a strong influence on the gameplay. Players controlled Bug through six worlds of three scenes each, moving around corridor-like platforms, jumping on enemies, keeping an eye on the health bar, and of course making the way to the end of the level. So it's pretty basic platforming gameplay, no real gimmicks. However, the idea was floated out to the team during development of an ever-decreasing health bar that had to be maintained through collecting sugar crystals, sort of like Supersonic and his diminishing rings. So what are your thoughts on the gameplay of Bug, and do you think the game would have improved with the decreasing health mechanic, which I do not believe was actually implemented okay no because all you're doing is pissing people i mean you're making people mad like that's one of the things i hate about some games like like one of my negatives about shimmy 3 is the decreasing health bar right like my thing is why do you need it like what what is it serving i know they have a food mechanic in that game so they want to like show that uh, I think they should have just done like if you eat certain foods you get boost. Like, yeah. You'll you'll be better at blocking. I think that's better because then it forces you to be like, oh, I'm gonna fight, but I forgot to use the food. Yeah. So yeah. Same thing with with this one right here. It's like you're decreasing the health. It's like yeah, but you're not really develop. You're not developing smarter levels. Like you said, they were just okay. No gimmicks. Maybe you should have thought of a gimmick that I don't know makes the game more enjoyable. Um, like yeah. adding a decreasing health bar is not making the game better. It's the same game, but now you're just making it more annoying. Yeah, if I were to implement a gimmick, it probably would be a sort of like hovering double jump because he is a bug, so he could flap his little wings. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know the princess in the American Mario Brothers 2. She does a little thing. Um, what is the game where you jump and then when you double jump, you kind of hover in the air and kind of go up a little bit before you fall. 
Maybe it is a Mario um, game. Maybe I'm thinking of Luigi, the way he operates. With his little legs, he, uh, yeah. he kind of like waddles around. Yeah. And I think I'm, there's also a, like, the cape, I guess, if you do it in an angle, and Ray, sort of. Yeah, in yeah. So you, you see, like, they could have done something like that. Um, I'm very glad they didn't do the decreasing health bar idea. I think that's a stupid idea. Um, Shinobi on PS2 also does the decreasing health bar, and it's so annoying. Yeah. Like, and I mean, I know this. Idea. I know this isn't a Shenmue three Sega talk, but just to bring that up, like you said, I mean, at least it's not going down as you're just standing still. But yeah, I remember running from the furthest two points of that mini map that they had, and I lost like three bars of health, which wasn't a huge deal. But then I opened up my thing, and for a game like Shenmue that's trying to be so realistic, I just hit the A button and ate a pineapple, ate a pineapple, ate a pineapple, ate a, and like. Who runs like through a little town and then has to eat six pineapples? Like it seems really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a really weird numbers. Like I need three bananas in me right now, George. Um, George, what's wrong? Pineapple, pineapples. You know, it it actually it it actually does decrease when you stand around. I didn't know this, but I was doing that little lap. Yeah, I did the laps video, and my health went almost all the way down by the end of the day. I mean. Mm. It's not. It's super slow, but it does happen. Yeah. That's weird. Well, I'm glad they didn't put it in bug, but yeah, it's mm. it's just like, not creative. It's like you're looking for something to sell the game. It's like it's a bug now with decreasing health bar. It's like how are you going to market that? You're really, really not. like yeah. So it's not. It wouldn't improve the game. It it need they needed something like. They needed something else, but, I mean, what do we know? You you did say it sold a lot, so... Well, you know, the game is called Bug, and, I mean, we'll get into the story. It's a very deep story, but the game's called Bug. Why couldn't you have a character select of, like, three different types of bugs, and each one, like Sonic, uh, had a different skill? So, you could have a bee that jumps and then does, like, a, um, like a little, like, kick to the ground you know with his stinger like real fast like shoot kind of like uh i don't know like they do in fighting games you know like there's some creative ideas there a spider that shoots webs like it'd be doable. i mean i think that i think the team was like rushing this out this is like during the era where like i mean i love panzer dragoon i love all the games but like panzer dragoon one was super rushed to get it out for the launch yeah. So that's a, that. That's a game that definitely the sequel was should like those two games should have probably been one game, but uh, this kind of reminds me of Bug. Like I'm pretty sure all the good all the oh I actually haven't played Bug two so I wouldn't know but like Ooh. pretty sure a lot of the ideas or levels went to the sequel. Yeah. To get this one out. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the story. Ooh. All right, you ready? The story oh, yeah. for Bug. Uh, is actually pretty simple. So Bug was an actor in Hollywood acting in a movie in which he must rescue his family from the evil spider Queen Cadavra. And this sort of setup of a fictional show within a game allowed for lots of fourth wall breaking, and the developers even admitted that Jerry Seinfeld was an influence on Bug's personality. Uh, Oh, this is what we do our bad uh, Jerry just signed What's the deal? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's, well, it's no secret that Bug was a potential Saturn mascot. So did you think he had what it took to be a console mascot in general? And what are your thoughts on the storyline and the characters? I mean, he's not... 
as good as Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Sonic had something in the character design where it kind of like blended uh, e uh, east and west in a way that it kind of like captured people's imaginations. Uh, yeah. Bug isn't terrible, but he's totally has that pix. I mean, not Pixar, but DreamWorks, the raising the eyebrow look. Mm -hmm. You know, like every like, oh look, this character is so mischievous. He has the rock, I right. people's eyebrow. Uh, they did this with um, Bubsy, the one we talked about. Also had that. The DreamWorks. Um, so eyes. I would, yeah, the DreamWorks guys, right? Yeah, it's a meme online, but yeah. yeah. Where they all they're all doing the rocks people's eyebrows um, <laughs> and like trying to be mischievous, right? That's the whole idea behind mm -hmm. this look. And they've been using this since the early '90s. I mean, even Sonic has some of the covers that do that, uh, especially in the West. So it uh, as a as a mascot, no. But Bug had, uh, like, it looked more of a Bug looked more of more mascotish than like. Uh, knights, dude. I don't think knights look like a mascot. It's just a nice side game by, uh, like, kind of like Ristar. It's a nice side game, but like, no, yeah. I don't think it, sh it would have been mascot material. I think that's what they were going for, though, for real. I mean, for like obvious. Yeah, by the it, look, it seemed like with Sonic the Hedgehog, he really truly became the mascot of the Mega Drive Genesis, and Sega thought, well, moving forward, every console is going to have their mascot. So like Alex Kidd was Master System. Um, you could even argue Opa Oper was kind of Master System. And so they were kind of pushing either Bug or Knights as the Saturn mascot. And then when we got into Dreamcast, it was kind of Ulala, you know, was kind of the Saturn or the Dreamcast mascot. Um, I mean, technically, technically Sonic was back at that point. Because, absolutely. I mean, let's be honest, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 were huge when they came For out. For sure. Uh, yeah, and so... I yeah, I would argue that Dreamcast was Sonic's true return as like mascot for both the company and the console. But Saturn was a weird era where they where it was, Sega was like, yeah, Sonic's a thing, but but they weren't really pushing him as the mascot all that much, even though he totally was. And I I don't think Bug was the right choice. Um, Definitely not. I do see the Jerry Seinfeld influence. He's got like a little like kind of smirk some like sarcasm to him like jerry did and in, in the show specifically um and so you know whatever that's fine it, i don't think it dates the character i mean seinfeld's still on tv um i i, I think well yeah i don't think the, the i i see the jerry thing but like i think the reason that i think he looked like a mascot i think the reason he wasn't a mascot or couldn't be a mascot because I feel like when you have a mascot, that mascot has to sell the unit that you're selling, right? Right. And Sonic sold Genesis. Uh, Mario 64 sold Nintendo 64. But, like, Bug was just so, like, mediocre in what it was trying to do mm -hmm. that it was never going to, like... While Saturn owners bought it, I feel like a lot of Saturn owners bought the Saturn because they were Sega fans at the time. More than, right. oh, I bought this because Bug came out for it. Do you do I make sense? No, you make total sense. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, no, let's talk about the game. Like what what okay. were people playing when they played it? So the game was a 2.5D style which was done mainly because the team was not ready for a full 3D game. In fact, the game utilizes only one of the Saturn's two processors. There was no hardware to create full 3D characters at the time, which is ironic given real time is in their name. 
Oh, yeah. oh, I get it. There was no hardware to create full 3D characters in real time on the Saturn. And I said in the notes, ironic given real time is in their name. (laughs) What Uh, is up with real time? What's up with real time? I mean, it's not real and it's not. Okay. Uh, So (laughs) the 3D rendered style was achieved through pixel by pixel drawings, scanned hand drawings, and 3D rendered textures. All characters were sprites positioned within a 3D world. Did you think this effect Uh, was a success? No, because no. like I mean, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. When I played, and like I told you, I played it after it came out. So I guess comparing it to the Nintendo 64 is kind of like bad because there was no real 3D games like Mario at the time. But still, like it wasn't 3D, so can it really compete against Mario? No. So I I don't think I think that it being 2.5D and like you said, drawing and stuff mm-hmm. kind of made it look like the Saturn couldn't do with other with. Crash Bandicoot and other characters could do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did you... Where did you find that the 2.5D maybe hindered gameplay? Did you have any trouble with it? Uh, I didn't, but it wasn't, like, the greatest idea. Like, you're talking about when you, like, go forward and backwards yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a great idea. It really did feel like a... Uh, like you said, a Sega Genesis idea that, yeah. like, was brought over to the Saturn. And, and we've even seen the, that in some of the Sonic 3, like the Sonic special stages. Oh, yeah, so. for sure. So to me, it feels like maybe it couldn't have been done exactly like this, at this kind of high quality. Mm-hmm. But it it wasn't a huge jump from generations. Like you see some games where you're like, this is obviously impossible on the on the Genesis. But like, or even on the 32X, like a lot of PlayStation early games that were like, Twisted Metal and stuff, like, obviously that's 3D. This was, obviously was, like, 2.5D. Like you Mm -hmm. said, they were drawing and scanning. So, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I I think, given the sales of the game, I think the effect was a success. You know full well back then, 2.5D was not something people were pushing. They would call this a 3D game, outright. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we even had 2D games that I feel like people were calling 3D games, and they totally weren't. Like, Clay Fighter, Donkey Kong Country, you know. Like, you'd see Magazine, they'd probably be like, the 3D-styled game. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's... I, I think it worked. I I think given the time they had and their inability to really totally use the Saturn uh, to its full advantage, I think they did a decent job. I... You know, going into this next bit here, so Bug was actually the first software title for the Saturn developed in North America. And the game met its development goals and released just a few weeks after the Saturn's launch. And at the 1995 Summer Consumer Electronics Show, the game received a ton of marketing, and film director Steven Spielberg loved the game, and he famously said, This is the character. This is the character that's going to do it for the Saturn. Uh, <laughs> well, Steven. Um, but Bug did end up being the second best-selling Saturn game in 1995 and the best-selling software game across all platforms in Europe for two weeks. So playing the game now, do you think this hype and success is a surprise to you? I, I think, like, no. I, I think it's one of those early games where, like... 
like I said, I, I, I compared it to Knack, which is a launch title for the PlayStation 4, and it's like sold enough to make a sequel, and I was surprised, right? And uh, this is kind of the same thing. You see a uh, kind of a Sonic-looking character with the Dream, DreamWorks eyes, and you're like, all right, I'll buy it. It's only 32 bucks anyway. I need something for my Sega Saturn. Yeah. And that's, I think, how it sold as much as it uh, sold. Mm-hmm. And, and Steven Spielberg, isn't this the last time he made a good move? No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> uh, th- this is it. Bug broke him. No. Uh, yeah. I, there's like a meme that he doesn't make good movies anymore. But I, I don't know if I disagree with that. I haven't seen all his movies. But he was wrong about uh, Bug because it definitely did not put – didn't do it for the Saturn. Yeah. And uh, we all know that Steven Spielberg is a big Sega fan and he, he goes to the – he's a video gamer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised about him having a comment about it. But are you surprised about the hype? You know, I knowing what I know now about Saturn history, I don't think I am surprised because it was so early on that, you know, this is one of those things that happens in the first few months, first few weeks of the launch, and then it was probably quickly forgotten. I think it was overshadowed very quickly by other Saturn games, by other games of the era on other consoles. And I think people just moved on. And, you know, good for the team for meeting their goals, releasing it just a few weeks after the launch. But I don't know what their aspirations were, but I, if they really thought this was going to be the biggest hit on the Saturn, become like a huge series, I, I think that's a, a bit of uh, hubris on their part, but I mean, I think the game got more than what it probably deserved. To be it honest, kind of rem- it, it really reminded me of like um, what's that Clockwork Night, mm-hmm. where it's just good enough. It's like, oh yeah, it's I guess it's technically 3D to the onlooker, right? Right, but. So, like, it's an early Sega Saturn title where they obviously were not well-versed in all of the development stuff. And I'm like, what could you even do with Bug 3? Like, wasn't... I haven't played Bug 2, like I said before, but wasn't Bug 2 literally just Bug 1, but with more levels? Yeah, and we don't get too much into it because, of course, we're going to be doing Bug 2. Awesome. But, yeah, yeah, it, it really did kind of feel like just another level pack or something like that. Um, so Same thing you with kn- like uh, Clockwork Nights 2 it was like the Japanese version of this right exactly and that's why you know like when I see Bug for sale I think well I own Clockwork Night 1 and 2 do I really need Bug you know like they're kind of interchangeable for me and I will say I will yeah. say that uh, that Bug the character looks way more marketable than the Knight from uh, Clockwork Nights so I'll give yeah. it that I'd give you that. That's true. They should team up, though, for, like, a game. Ooh, a crossover would be epic. I mean, one's a bug and one's a little toy. They're probably the same size, so, you know. That's true. Um, And, you know, it could be a callback from Bug, uh, (laughs) the Bug movie, the Disney one, and Toy Story. Well, Bug, the movie's coming out next year, right? Oh, wait, that's Sonic. Yes, hopefully. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. but, But here's the thing. So we were saying the game was a success. It sold really well. Here's the problem, though. Bug was released at a budget price of $32.99. And this was because Sega did not expect much success. I wonder and why. So, yeah, but because of this, the return on the game was not as big as it could have been if it was like $50 or $60. And 
However, Realtime never had royalties in place due to their large initial contract, which if you remember, I believe was like a million for the Sonic game. Remember that? Yeah. Um, so following the release of Bug, Crash Bandicoot became the new platforming star in town, which led to the sequel Bug 2, which expanded the formula and took a little more risk with the 3D movement. However, you know, it, it didn't do too much for the company. It didn't do much for Sega. And since the sequel, Sega has not returned to the series. And due to contracts, Sega does retain the rights to the Bug. And Woo! Yeah, in 2008, there actually was a failed revival of Bug. It came and went. A, re- a re-release has said to be unlikely due to real-time and Sega not having the source code. Surprise, surprise. And so, I mean, as of this year, Bug, as a franchise, is pretty much dead. I mean, it was dead when Bug 2 came out, to be honest with you. <laughs> Even if they tried to relaunch it like a, a decade ago, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably not. Like, you have a list of Sega IPs, right? You start... Uh, you start flipping through them, you're like, Bug is going to be pretty low on that list of uh, mm-hmm. characters that should come back. Like, I feel like, I, I, like, I love, I, I know people don't know this because they're just whatever, they're like, they don't get emails from Sega, like PR emails, but yeah. I love the Sega Ages uh, emails that they have the rabbit, that little uh, rabbit from the old uh, SG-1000, yeah. that they're using them in marketing materials. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so I think he is in front of Bug. Even though he never had a game, he was just on manuals in Japan. Yeah. That rabbit deserves a game more than Bug. I think Ristar, you know, and there's like these little, like Vector Man even, if you want to get a Western created guy, right? Isn't the rabbit's name like Professor Ashiban or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He should have his own game. Why not? No, uh, probably not a game, but like, I would rather have him have a, a new game and you don't have to deal with a lot of stuff than Bug, right? So to yeah. me, it's like, does he deserve more? Not really. It was just the game on the on the sat. I mean, on the Saturn that people yeah. forgot. So my legacy of Bug is like, if you like Bug and you like the games, even you know they're just all right games. There's nothing wrong with having all right games. Some of my favorite games are all all right games, right? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. nothing. There's something. There's nothing. I mean, in my opinion, I love sometimes just coming into like a simple platformer game and just putting in the work and finishing it and being like oh that was fun this is one of those games right like yeah you have a little bit of fun you move on to the next game but like a masterpiece definitely not even yeah. on the Sega saturn there's a and lot I more think, games sorry i think the the legacy of bug is that it it played its part you know it it was a very short-lived popularity but i think between it existing or not existing i would much rather have bug exist you know like i'm i'm glad it came out when it did i'm glad people enjoyed it and it sold well it's more on the development team and their and sega um pricing it you know so that it kind of killed the franchise before it could begin even though they did get a sequel done so you know i i don't think it deserved more than what it got i think the legacy of it is that it existed some people liked it, some didn't. But like you said, like there's nothing wrong with being an okay game. And yeah. And I think on this podcast, we're always covering games that I think for the most part are actually pretty great. Um That's true. That's true. And it's it's rare we cover games. We've covered Sonic 06, which I would say is a 
a terrible game. Yeah, that's true. Um, Bug, though, I think of all the games we looked at, that's the most, like, middle of the road. Like, if I were to compare that to all the other games and and had a scale of 1 to 10, Bug would be right there at the 5. You know what I mean? Um, uh, not bad, not great. It existed. Good for Bug. You know, and and if someone out there listening to this like loves Bug, like don't don't be upset. Like I'm glad you love it. Like there are games that I'll talk about that I love, and people are like, oh, that thing that's like six out of ten. You know, like throw you a review score in your face. Um, famously, uh, we don't talk about it that much anymore. But Viking um, from uh, who who did that? Uh, the uh, three Vikings is that the one you're thinking about? No, no, no. Uh, Viking battle for no the the one. Oh, battle for Asgard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just an okay game. I mean, they had potential yeah. at the time. I supported it because uh, it had like ideas behind it where you're like, man, if they expanded this and they had more time, it was super rushed. And that's sadly a lot of these kind of games where you're like, man, it would have been great if they had another year to work on it, right? Exactly. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of Bug in that regard. And I remember very early on, you and I, we kind of, we both bonded over our kind of so-so like of it. We were like, yeah, it was good. You know, like, it was fun. Um, I felt like a lot of people were bashing it just like, I guess, was it the perfect game? No, but like, I think a lot of people downplayed a lot of the ideas the game brought forth at the time. Absolutely. And, you know, um... I, I never made notes on what came of Real Time Associates, but I'm sure they're doing all right. I'm sure they're having, I'm sure they've had pretty good careers. I mean, looking at uh, uh, the work that Dave Warhol has done, he hasn't done too much since he did a game called Soul Trapper, Episode One, Ollie Ollie Oxenfree, in 2009, which was released to iPhone, uh, surprisingly by Real Time Associates, um, and they. I guess they still exist. Do they? In a sense. Um, yeah. It, so in 1999, Real-Time Associates actually was sold to Amaze Entertainment. And they are currently living on uh, as Griptone Games, a subsidiary of Foundation 9 Entertainment. And if you remember Griptone Games, uh, they sound very familiar, don't they? Not to me, they don't. I don't know Griptone what they do. Games. Man, this is gonna bother me. Gri- uh, grip tonight. Grip tonight. Grip tonight. Um, Sounds like something that like would kill Superman, or like a hand job he would get, or something like <laughs> Grip tonight. It's like no. Well, Foundation Nine Entertainment. They worked on. Um... Oh, did they? Oh, Su- Digital Sumo. That's what it is. Sumo Digital is a. Uh... So, Grip tonight and Digital Sumo are actually owned by the same company which is kind of interesting it's so crazy they have a website but the website is like super old you might you might really love it since you know (laughs) you could even send your resume i should (laughs) they'd probably hire me um and so that that kind of does it for our talk about bug i should give a shout out a lot of this information came from ken horowitz's playing at the next level a history of american sega games if you know ken he's from sega 16 Awesome guy, great website, great resource. I mean, to be honest, we probably wouldn't have said all this stuff about Bug without his book. And so we're going to do something, a little a little throwback to the early Sega Talks. We're going to talk about other media, 
that came out in this era. Typically, we talk about the great movies and games because of Bug. I know we're not saying it's a bad game, but we're going to talk about bad movies. So here's just a little list of the bad movies that came out in 1995. We got Showgirls. Mm, I don't know if this is bad, but you Mm. you, you watched this movie back then? It was kind of like NC-17, wasn't it? That was the big thing. I mean, it was a bad movie, but people were like, you get to see boobs. That's Uh, true. That was a rarity. Yeah, it was the woman from uh, Saved by the Bell, right? So was it? Oh yeah, man, the, I didn't know that. The one with the teeth. That oh, one. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Powder. <laughs> just, I've never seen that movie. What's that about? That is with um, the guy who played young Indiana Jones on the TV show, and it was about a guy who was uh, uh, was the people with super white skin. Um, Man, I can't remember. But, like, they burn Europeans. easily. Yeah. Europeans. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, yeah, it, was, it wasn't it was terrible, but it was kind of like, oh, wow, he's going to burn if he gets sunlight on him. Um, and then the movie Species. Do you remember was that? that one? Yeah, I remember that because I remember, like, everybody, all my pe- everybody that I knew were like, you could see this woman's vagina. <laughs> or, you know, that we say a, that. A common trend with these 95 movies. And right. then they're the, all like they're all sexy. What's up with that? And the big one, Waterworld. I've never seen that movie, but like it's in reference in every comedy movie at the time. Like if they were doing pop culture references in this, it's you like should, oh, it's like yeah. shitty Waterworld. That's usually you should check it out. It's not terrible. Like it's a cheesy action movie. It's like Mad Max, but on the water. Oh, and it's hell not, yeah. It's not like underwater. It's like on water, jet skis, boats, uh, like handmade things, stuff like that. Um, you know, so it's, it's not. Is it like cheesy enough for like you and your friends to like laugh at the movie and have a good time? Absolutely. I mean, the movie itself feels like a FMV game cinematic, but like with a huge budget. Damn. You know, like a it... weird FMV game. Um, so it's like if uh, like Night Trap got the $200 million budget or what? Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, Dennis Hopper's the villain. He's awesome in it. And if I remember correctly, his like the bad guy group are called the Smokers because they have like the world's supply of cigarettes, so they're always smoking cigarettes. Oh, uh, um, yeah, the good old days. Yeah, I, I think that was the plot. And they drink pee. I know that. So... I mean, who doesn't? Um, and then we've got the 1995 game. So Waterworld, they had a video game. I believe famously it was on the Virtual Boy. Ooh, the Virtual Boy is known for quality titles. So yeah. that's going to be good, right? Yeah, and with the red graphics, the oceans look like seas of blood. So that's cool. Should have been a um, real movie. We also got Wild Woody. Oh, yes. Isn't this game rare now? Yeah, some streamer played it, and the game now goes for like a hundred bucks. I saw it uh, in Philadelphia for one hundred and twenty-five, and and it was and a I game saw that it, like nobody cared about. Yeah, I know, and I bought it two years ago for like twenty bucks. And the yeah. only reason I bought it was because um, I believe his name's Adam did a video for us on our channel. Um, you can find it. It was called Hit Reset. Yes. And. Yes. The whole idea was going back and reassessing these classic games 
But the big deal was that he got the voice actor for Wild Woody to return and play the character. So on our channel, we have the only, like, return appearance of Wild Woody. So that's uh, that's something that happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've got Slam City with Scotty Pippen. Is this... Uh, have you played Slam City before? No, it's actually... It's one of the Sega CD32X titles you can get. It's also Sega CD, but... Um, it's a it, FMV game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's an FMV game, and it's the one I don't own that oh. works on the thirty-two works with the thirty-two X, like extra power. It doesn't look that great. It looks pretty bad. Oh my god! Even and and uh, that same guy. Okay, so I I went to images, and yeah. uh, he calls himself Gunstar Hero Seven 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 on YouTube. But That's he right. He did a review of Slam of Slam of Slam City, so his image pops up. So oh I think wow! It's funny. Some fun, I think it's funny that we're talking about him with the Wild Woody review on our channel. Yeah, and he did. He also, I guess he was, he's into these bad games from the '90s, right? Like mid '90s. That's his, uh, he, his thing. I think his thing is, is that he gets hooked on like a uh, uh, peripheral. So he was like, he's been playing, I think, Game Gear games a lot recently. But he was hooked on like Sega CD for a while. Um, you should check his stuff out if you're listening to this or watching this. He's he's got he's some also cool a lot. stuff. He also streams on Twitch, so you guys can yeah. check him out on there for sure. He yeah, does, yeah. I think, more Twitch stuff now than he does anything. He's a good guy. I hung out with yeah. him at the Galloping Ghost uh, not too long ago. Um, and Tomcat Alley? You, yeah. Did you play Save this Save the one? best for last. Obviously, obviously. Have you played no, this? No. It's another FMV game, I believe. And it's one of those games where it's just like you're flying a jet, but clearly it's like Oh no, we're going towards a mountain probably, and it's like turn right. I, I've watched I videos fact, of it. I, yeah. I love the fact that right now I'm looking at one of the images of the intro, and it's like there's 3D holograms of mountains and stuff where the level is going to be, and then like a bunch of like army people standing around discussing the mission. Yeah. My thing is like, do you think this is what Trump does, and all these presidents like they sit in a room like this with glowing monitors and, and all around them like that? Like, I'm certain. You think, you think that's, like, legit, or you think it's more, like, casual than that? They probably are, like, looking at an, at an iPad, something like that. <laughs> I, I just think it's funny that, like, they all dress up in suits. Like, I always want to see them, like, just show up in, like, gym shorts and, like, a t-shirt. They're like, all right, we got this war going on. I want to be comfortable if I'm going to be in here. But didn't Bill Clinton do that? He was, like, always super casual. Man, I well, I hope more people are like that. Why do you want yeah. to wear suits all the time, dude? I'm surprised that I'm very surprised that Donald Trump wears suits. To be honest with you, seeing how casual he is on Twitter and all that. <laughs> what but, happened uh, to this podcast? <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just no, looking it's at the fine. photos. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Out of all these games, I would probably play something like Wild Woody. Um, yeah. I think it's funny that uh, Scotty Pippen had his own game, and then Michael Jordan had his own game when. I think last time we recorded and it didn't happen, I was talking about how the Michael Jordan game I owned growing up, the um, something something in the wind, uh, Michael Jordan and the Windy City or something like that. It's like a platformer game where hmm. you get basketballs. Oh no, uh, I think well, it's a Chicago game, right? Because he was in the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you basically have to kill bad. It's a platformer where you shoot basketballs at them and then like you get like fire basketballs and like freezing basketballs it's so ridiculous but like i don't know it's kind of weird that all these like stars got these like oh you want scotty pippen you want a uh, fmv game sure 
It's Michael Jordan, you want a platformer game? Uh, all right. It's like, well, I don't know. It's just the Holy era. crap, you're right. Told Michael you, Jordan, man. Chaos in the Windy City. There you go. That's it, dude. I, I, used, to, I used to own this game as a kid. You could, my mom probably got it because it was like super cheap on discount or something but like i used to own that game it was uh i i i had it on the super nintendo i'm pretty sure i think there was a sega genesis version though i gotta get this yeah i mean it's worth it it's it's not the most terrible game obviously it is like from the era it's not amazing it's not terrible it's just whatever but uh yeah i used to play that game i just think it's funny that uh, slam city by scotty pippen like Scottie Pippen to me it was like what is it like Walmart version of Michael Jordan? Yeah, and so, so in that regard, what Bug is the Walmart version of Sonic? Yeah, so that's yeah. a great way to end this podcast. Yeah, so um, since we did this like surprisingly, we don't really have any comments to read, but I do have a message to tell you guys. Yeah. You guys could, if you guys are just watching this and, and you guys haven't subscribed, you can subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts. We're also on YouTube where you can see this as a video and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And if you want to support the show, you can support us on patreon.com slash SegaBits. Anything you want to tell the people before we close it up? Join us next time for a much more exciting game. Yeah, for sure. And if you're a patron, <laughs> you could tell us what game to uh, talk about next time. And you could just tell us in the comment anywhere. Somebody said Puyo Puyo, so maybe a Puyo Puyo game is basically uh, uh, Doctor's Robotic Mean Bean Machine episode, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah, pretty uh, much. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>